Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. We have something a little different for you tonight. We have a little bit of a premiere or a promo, shall we say. We are going to start a conversation, but we are actually not going to finish it. And that's on purpose because right before we hit the record button, I had the honor of having an entirely separate conversation with our guest tonight, with Julie, about having her come speak live at Calvary Mac. And we have a lot of exciting ideas on how that's going to look. And when all those details are finalized, I will let you know. So stay tuned. Now, for those of you who do not live anywhere close to McMinnville, Oregon, please do not fret because you know that anytime we have a live event, it is recorded and it will get published on this podcast. So again, stay tuned. With that introduction, Julie, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I'm excited to hear the the pieces that we're going to talk about this evening. And I know there's so much more to come. But to start off, ladies who've been listening for a while, you know that uh, Sandra, who shared her story earlier in the podcast, has been leading a Christian writing group at Calvary Mac, and she has connected us with so many incredible authors who also have been willing to share their story. And that is how I met Julie. So I'm going to let Julie now sort of take over, introduce herself, tell a little bit about uh, who she is, what her life is like today, how she's connected to the writing group, and then we'll we'll start and tell you some of her story. So thank you, Julie, for being here. Sure. Thank you for having me. I really, I appreciate it. And thank you to those who are listening for taking the time uh, to listen. I've gone back and I've listened to some of the podcasts that Jessica has done. And I just, I found them amazing. You know, the topics she brings up and the, the real stories that come up are so authentic and real and I've enjoyed listening. So I'm now a subscriber and I'm going to listen even more even more frequently. You can't see Jessica right now, but she's clapping her hands. So yeah, so I, I definitely appreciate the chance to come share a little bit of my stories. So yes, I am a writer. Um, I facilitate North Coast Christian Writers, which is a critique group, which started on the North Coast, but has since kind of moved to more Portland Metro. And now we're on uh, Google Meets. And so we actually have people nationwide that join us um, on our group on the fourth Sunday of every month at 4 p.m. And it's been a highly encouraging group to facilitate and to help uh, lead and teach uh, writers and all the things I've learned, I'm able to pour into them, which is a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. So I am a member of both Oregon Christian Writers and West Coast Christian Writers. And I believe that Sandra is a member of one of them, and I don't remember which. I believe it's West Coast. She's with West Coast Christian Writers. But she put the call out, and I'm actually only 30 minutes or so from McMinnville. She was looking for people to come to Writers Group and, you know, teach a little bit and be there kind of as a critique partner. And I'm like, I can do that. And so one thing led to another, and and here we are. So (laughs) I'm doing a podcast as well and a potential live event in the future. So my current topics that I write about are can be difficult for people. They're about abuse um, and human trafficking. I have a background of abuse, and it has been part of my healing process that God brought me back to a point uh, where I can write again. There was a long time I couldn't. I was pretty traumatized, but he called me back to it. And so currently, um, my main novel is called Innocent Lives, and it's about two gals who are 
who are kidnapped and trafficked. And then I have two novellas out, ebook form of kind of two side characters. That. And that Innocent Lies is going to be a series of three. So there'll be two more coming out that tell Sienna and Jasmine's story and how they got to where they are. And, but more importantly, the hope of it and the angels that saw them through. Because the topics I write about, <laughs> you can't write about without having that hope in that story and without God shining through. Because, you know, it can be discouraging. Obviously, nobody wants to read a victim's perspective 100% of the time. And so you have to be careful with that in writing. So I've, I've learned a lot over the years, and God also said to me this year, it's time to get it out there. It's not like I put it off. I just, I was going all the normal routes, and I got an agent, and I did all those things, and, and God said, it's just time. Get it out. And so I did, and so it's been a year of fulfillment of actually being able to fulfill that part um, that he has called me to, and so I was excited to have the opportunity to come to the writers group and, and share what I've learned. That's incredible, and I know you said a lot of things right then that many listeners just sat up a little straighter. Their, their ears just tuned in maybe because they know that that's their story or that it might be their story or, or maybe somebody they love is in the middle of that story. And they're wondering, how do I, how do I help her? How do I support her? What do I do? What do I say? What don't I do? What don't I say? And there's, there's so much teaching that needs to be, be given on this topic, so much listening. And that is why there is no way we can fit all of this into one single episode. And we're going to, we're going to really take your authenticity and your background and your training. And it's going to be a ministry and I know it's going to bless a lot of women. And I'm very grateful for that. So for tonight's episode, will you Rewind the tape a little bit for us. Maybe take us back. Tell us a little of your history, maybe where God came into the picture in all of this. And and again, listeners, just know that this is not the complete story tonight, but you will end up getting to hear the whole thing. I promise. (laughs) So, yeah, God came into my life at a very early age. I was very fortunate to be raised in a Christian home uh, with two very strong Christian parents. We were one of those families that went to church three days a week, whether we liked it or not, <laughs> and went to Awana and they were leaders in our Awana group. And we also shuttled all the neighborhood kids to Awana. And at one point when I was younger, younger, my mom even taught um, a good news club, which is through child evangelism fellowship. And after school, literally the bus driver would drop off 20 kids at our house. And we would file in and we'd pile around the living room and we had to sit on, we were talking about that the other day when I visited them yesterday, because we had to sit them all on the stairs that went to the upstairs in order to, to have seats for everybody. And it's funny now, because I still connect with adults, like on Facebook and stuff that went to Good News Club and that made an impact uh, that they came to our house every, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday afternoon. So I was very fortunate in that regard to have that as a background. But my first instance came of a questionable relationship, let's call it that, when I was 13. And we had just changed churches. Um, I had a childhood church that I was at from zero to 13. I don't remember if it, I think it was a split, the church split, and we went elsewhere. And there was a, I hesitate to call him a gentleman, there, there was a man at this second church that we went to when I was 13 that was very affectionate towards me in many ways. He worked with the youth group. He was inappropriate in many ways. Looking back as an adult now, I can see that. I did not see that as a 13-year-old. But there was touching and hugging and shoulder rubbing and hand-holding and him transporting me back and forth to choir practice. 
and things like that. And I really grew to rely on him. He, he listened to my issues. He understood uh, when things at home weren't going well. And I was able to, you know, have him as a sounding board for that. And he was, he was 26, 27 at the time. And I was 13. So, you know, looking back, I see, wow, what an inappropriate relationship that was. And my parents tried to tell me that at the time. There came a point in time where I he had to move states because he got a different job in in California and he was heading that direction. And I was really upset at God for taking him because in my mind I loved him. He I loved him and God was taking him from me. And my parents would use phrases like, He's not being appropriate. I heard that a lot. I heard he's being selfish, that he is using you to meet some kind of need that he has as a man. And it's not right to use a 13-year-old girl for that. In their own way, they were saying, hey, you know, this is completely inappropriate. And yet as a 13-year-old and, and then into 14, you know, to me, it was like, you know, I love this guy. I love this guy. And this really, this was an inter- interesting revelation for me because it didn't really come to me until a couple of weeks ago that this man really, in a way, was grooming me, is what they would call it these days. And we had no idea back then. You know, this was, you know, 70s and 80s. People were like, you know, huh? And all I knew as a little girl was that, you know, he listened to me and he cared for me and he touched me and he held me. And now as an adult, I look back and I'm like, man, you know, if my daughter at age 13, you know, had had a relationship with, I actually think he's 28, 28-year-old man in that regard, I'd be all over it. You know, how you can't get more inappropriate than that, right? You really can't. And this was in the church. So he was a church leader. We were involved in some of the same activities, all of that. So, you know, he's he's moved on. He has a family. You know, I'm glad for him that he's family. I hope that everybody's safe. I, at one point, felt like I should reach out as part of my healing to him to see if, I don't know, to maybe see what he would say about it. But he, of course, has blocked me from those efforts, which is good now. You know, I kind of look back and think, okay, you know, that's that's fine. I have gone on, you know, to heal without but that ended up ended up just being the beginning for me. And I did not realize the tie-in now until a couple weeks ago. So this is the first story in my mind that I went on from there to be a teenager getting in several unhealthy relationships with boys and with men. Men that didn't treat me quite right. Men that saw me more as an object than a person. Uh, men who were verbally, emotionally abusive um, or neglectful in some way. Uh, men who cheated on me um, on a regular basis. And I was naive at many points in times. My early college life, I had um, a boyfriend that was not only addicted, which eventually took his life, um, but he was apparently, I learned later on regularly, cheating on me, you know, with other women here in school. And to me, he was the bad guy. He was, uh, he rode a motorcycle, wore leather. (laughs) You can picture that in your mind, can't you? And this good Christian girl raised in a good Christian home, for some reason, something in her is drawn to this, this bad guy, right? And as an adult, I look back and I do a lot of reflection on what, what that was fulfilling in me that I needed it so bad. And of course, it comes, comes down to God. You know, I, I think if I had chosen instead to rely on the Lord for those things in my life, that I would not have been looking, you know, in all of the other little places. So so yeah, that was my setup, and I didn't really realize it was a setup until a couple of weeks ago. So you guys are the first to hear to hear about that. It's really important to listen to your kids and to even intervene 
if something like that is going on in a family life that's inappropriate. There is a reason it's happening and it is real. It's not something that in your mind you're thinking, well, maybe this isn't really happening. If God is giving you those red flags, and you know, you have a teenager or a young person that they might be in an inappropriate relationship or being groomed um, or even hanging out with people that might take them in that direction, you absolutely as a parent need to jump on it. And I wish that we had known then what we know now. So that's how it started for me. You said something that... I know will hit home for so many. And that's that relationship that happens way more than you would think of the quote unquote, good Christian girl and the quote unquote, bad boy. And once upon a time when I was a lot younger, I used to think of it as kind of this like lady in the tramp complex, like (laughs) exactly. (laughs) And I, I think it gets romanticized so much in the media as well, where it's like, Oh, you know, this, this, this quote unquote, good girl is going to turn that quote unquote, bad boy around and she's going to save him. Yeah. That's our savior, savior complex. I do think it exists. And I, I think that was there for me too. I also think that I, I am a middle child now. I'm not blaming it on being a middle child. However, middle children are really famous for needing a lot of attention and going about how to get that, you know, they do it various ways. So I do think that part of it for me was the attention that I gained from it. Um, because as I look at my pattern, this is interesting. I had another bad boy save me from that bad boy. But, the, you know, the second bad boy didn't seem bad at the time, right? But that was when I went into my first marriage. And in my mind, I was always like, he saved me from, you know, this other guy. Not really understanding that I was stepping into something, you know, much, much worse. So I think. There was that reliance um, on men for that attention that I craved, you know, and that was there. And I think the savior complex was part of it as well. You know, I could make him better. I could make him not addicted or not drink anymore. Not, you know, back then it was marijuana, not, you know, not do marijuana anymore. I could make a difference in his life and change him around. Of course, I never did that because he wasn't ready to go there. And until somebody is, the only impact you can have really is to pray for them you know, and to guard yourself and set your boundaries, you know, so that you're not negatively affected by them and their behavior. I'm wondering if we can, you know, give, if, if you had two minutes to talk to the, the girl who is at risk for these kind of relationships. And then if you had two minutes to talk to the parents or the teachers or the coaches or the pastors of those girls. So maybe, maybe first talk to that girl who could be at risk for a relationship that is not healthy. Sure. Yeah. I, I would say, and I would say to myself, if I could go back, uh, that as a girl or as even women, I see a lot of women as well, go from one destructive relationship to another. Uh, I'm going to say, honey, you can't find what you need in anything except God. And as much as you're searching, as hard as you're searching for that man to meet your needs, you need to learn to be by yourself for a while. And you need to just find God and let him be your partner. That is going to be your answer you know, to your joy. That is going to bring you clarity, spending time with him and him alone and not trying to depend on a man or a boyfriend. If you're a girl, um, I would encourage you to take that step as soon as possible. There was a point in time in my destructive relationship, my, that first destructive relationship where I took a summer um, and I traveled and I went on a youth missions trip, which he wasn't at all in, in agreement with. But during that time came a lot of clarity and meeting people that, you know, were on board with me 
as far as being a believer and believed what I believed. And I was teaching at a Christian camp. So I was able to help influence the kids I felt. And when I got back that fall, it just became very obvious to me that this relationship that I was in was, was horrendous, was unhealthy. Well, I went to Ireland and there were people in Ireland that I met that as I would talk to them, they would tell me that, you know, this guy you got back at home is not, you know, is not good for you. I'm a bit rebellious. <laughs> that is in my nature. And so, of course, my immediate response is, you know, but, but I love him, you know, or you know, whatever. But I would just say to the girls that whatever it is, really look at it. You know, you sit back, maybe journal, maybe write down, maybe start thinking deeply about what need is it in your heart that you are trying to meet by going to unhealthy man after unhealthy man or boy after another. What is he providing? And I would encourage you to be of the mindset that no human can meet that need in you. No human at all. And until you are completely reliant on and in relationship with your heavenly father who loves you more than anything, you will not find that deep satisfaction. Another thing I'd like to tell them is this, you know, the right man is not going to really be drawn to you if you're out with the wrong men. <laughs> they don't hang out in the same crowd. They don't. And so just keep that in mind that if you're looking for a long-term relationship with somebody who loves God and is healthy, you know, you don't go to a, you know, to a bar to meet them right? You, you hang out where you need to hang out, where you need to be. And if God brings it, he brings it. But until you're good on your own and just happy with your heavenly father, then chances are it's not going to happen well um, and, and in the best way. That's a lot to say to little girls and to teenagers and women. But looking back, that's probably what, what I would have told myself. Would it have made a difference? I would hope so. Uh, but hopefully it will make a different, little difference in your life to start thinking about where you're going and where you want to be, you know, where you want to be in the next Absolutely. And, and I know there's, there's so much more to that, right? Because so much of this conversation is also the unhealthy relationships that happen within a church family where yeah. you, where you think it's not supposed to happen there, but it does. And, and again, this is a conversation that's so important and there's so much to it. And we're, we will, we will have that for you in a future episode, but an amazing start there just for yeah, what are what are what is it that you're actually looking for? And thinking through where would you where would you really actually find that? And you find it in God. So right. for the parents, that that quick little okay, what are those red flags? What's something they can do? Something they can look for? Maybe even a, a question to ask their daughter tonight, no matter how old their daughter is. Sure. So there's some red flags in relationships that are unhealthy. And as parents, we can be very aware of that. Number one, the Holy Spirit will speak. And it may not be a lightning flash from the sky that says your daughter's going out tonight with a thug down the street, right? What it's going to present itself as is something's wrong. Something's not right. Something's not kosher. Her behavior's changed, perhaps. You want to look at that. Perhaps you have a situation where your daughter used to be very close to you and share a lot with you. And all of a sudden she's closed down and she's not sharing a lot with you anymore. You might see things like grades at school flipping. Um, she might be out more often and be unwilling or not want to be held accountable for those hours. Not know. She may resist it. If you ask her who she's talking to on the phone all the time or who she's texting or 
the parents that I know know their kiddos well enough to know when they're shutting it down and shutting it off. We just need to pay attention. Um, we get caught up, of course, in work and everything else. But, you know, our first responsibility, of course, is to our families in all way, shape, or form. Um, and so any kind of something's not right feeling, something to pay attention to and to do about. So if you have that feeling and your daughter might be into something, and maybe it's not a relationship, they will also show those same signs if, you know, with gang activity, they could show it with substance abuse. They can show it with self-harm, if they're self-harming or cutting themselves, you know, or any kind of activity that their parents would not agree with, that they kind of know, eh, this isn't quite right, and I probably shouldn't be doing this, they, they will show those behavior changes. Now, there's another issue, of course, when you approach your child and your child's not truthful with you, you know, and that's, that's a little harder to dig in, you know, and get into because we want to believe them, right? And let's face it, some of them can be pretty convincing and pretty charming, and they can stand there at the doorway and convince you that there's nothing going on in their life that they, you know, are upset about, or there's nothing they're doing that they're behaving badly about. And I don't encourage parents as much to be a snoop as I do to encourage them to listen and to listen more. My husband, my current husband has taught me a wonderful phrase, and it is just the phrase, tell me more. And it works. It works at work. It works at home. It works with the teenager. It works with the adult kids that are out of the house. And someday it's going to work with my little grandbaby I just had. Tell me more. It just opens up the entire conversation to say, you know, I care about you. I want to know more. And even if they say something and your natural reaction is to get a little defensive or maybe to question or maybe to go elsewhere, or maybe your mind's like mine and goes a million miles a minute. Think, oh, what if, you know, what if, what if she really means this or what if she really means that to say just those words, tell me more, sit down with me, tell me more. And it really has been a magic potion, so to speak, in our house, you know, with God at the center, of course. And so I would encourage uh, parents to do that. Sit down tonight. You want to be careful with the you words. You don't want to say, listen, you've been out late at night and you're doing this and you're not turning in your homework. I want to know what's going on. You want to, like in any interpersonal relationship, treat them as an adult and use I words. And you want to say, <clears throat> Sally, as an example, I feel, I feel like there's some tension between us. Did I do something? Did I step on your toes somehow? Did I offend you? Can we talk about this? To have Sally say, well, mom, yeah, or dad, you know, there, there have been some things. And then to say those magic words, tell me more and actually set the time aside. And if you listen to your kids in that way, and even if they're refusing to talk, which happens, you know, with, with kids, as we know, if you still listen to them, those things are going to come up and it's going to give you a talking point and a talking opportunity. And that's what you advantage of versus snooping versus finding their diaries. First, listen. Um, and, and you will hear your child loves you and you love them and you know them with all your heart. So it's, it's a big, big deal to listen. And if you find out that they're in a situation that could be dangerous, it's important to put a stop to it. And, uh, you know, that, of course, can take many, many forms. But it's also very important to educate along the way and to tell them why you're putting the steps down if you are, why they're on maybe restriction and can't go out of the house because they were they were meeting a boy at the football stadium and, and this and this and this was happening or whatever the case might be. And explain, but be firm that you're doing it because, you know, because you love them. And they won't get it and they won't understand you and they might resist you and they might rebel more. But then someday they're going to be sitting here right in my shoes, right? And they're going to say, uh-huh, 
my dad and mom loved me. That's why they took me aside. Someday they will understand and I will thank you. Those are three pretty powerful words. Tell me more. I, I flash back to all the years teaching first grade and trying to teach them how to write. It's tell me more, tell me more. We're going <laughs> to like this is, and so the, I guarantee these children have heard that before from one of their teachers. <laughs> right. said, tell me more, elaborate. But <laughs> I think of too, how powerful those words are for adults. It, yes. This is not just a, a teenage girl story. There are women in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. I know women who are in their 70s and who are in unhealthy relationships. It's still such a valuable question, no matter how old she is. Even if you're not a parent, maybe you're a sister or a best friend or a mentor or an accountability partner, a Bible study friend, a neighbor, where you sense something's off. Tell me more. Tell me more. Yeah. Oh, well, I think that's the title for this episode. (laughs) Tell me more. Tell me more. Hopefully hopefully by now, all of the listeners are going, oh my gosh. Yeah. Tell me more. Tell me the rest of your story. Tell me what else I can do. So ladies, I hope all of you are wanting to know more, wanting to hear more, wanting to learn more and, and wanting to heal more if that's your story. And that is kind of where we're going to wrap up for this shorter story night podcast episode, because there's so much more to come. So Julie, as we think about the women who are listening, who are a hundred percent nodding, they know, they know that they are in maybe a dangerous cycle, maybe an unhealthy cycle. There are a lot of different words that could be used for this. And they kind of have different definitions to different people. And but falling into that category of this isn't as it should be, and, and this is not healthy. For that listener, if you would give her some words of, of hope, some words of encouragement, of support, even advice. And then after that, I'm going to ask you to pray for those women. Oh, yeah. Two categories there addressed in that question. And so first of all, I'm going to address you if you have a loved one that you think might potentially be in abuse. Um, and who likes to call it abuse, right? What a mean, ugly word. If you have a friend or a loved one that you think might be in a controlling relationship, let's put it that way. There is a great book out there and it's called, it's called Helping Her Get Free, which is a really good book about what you can do and what you can't do. The thing you can't do is you can't go rescue them. And that's really, really hard. That is not easy. We want to pack up the car, go get our loved one, take them out of their bad house, take them to a safe place, hide them, and keep them safe. And that's what our hearts want. But the fact of the matter is, the stats are going to show you that the more people we, we rescue, the more we lose. Because if they're not ready yet, and if they've not seen yet that there is control and they're willing to do something about it, then they will likely go back. Now, I'm not saying don't go save a life. If somebody's in intimate danger, obviously you want to call 911 you know, and do what you can to save their lives. I, I'm talking about that relationship where you're like, something's off. Or let's see, every time you're out with your friend, her husband's like ringing the phone off the hook. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? you know, when are you coming back? What are you doing? 
maybe talking about the friend that can never go out with you and other girlfriends because her husband is maybe a little jealous. So those are the kind of kinds of friends or family members that I'm referring to. So I do recommend that book. It really will help you see how you can help them successfully. There's also a very good article that I wrote on it on on the 10 things everybody should know to help a survivor. And right now it's on the ARMS website, which is abuserecovery.org. And there's a tab um, that has resources and it says the top 10 things everybody should know to help a survivor. And so I would recommend that you read that because one of the things that you need to do is prepare your heart for the fact that you may not be able to save this person or that they may go back. Um, and, and then again, you may be able to make a huge difference, but it's important that you understand the aspects of that. And again, that listening is important. And I would say that tell me more works in the same situation. As you mentioned, Jessica, it works with adults. But as you get to know your friend or loved one a little bit more, and as they talk a little bit more and open more about their relationship, you want to have that tell me more type of attitude so that they know you're a safe person. Keeping confidentiality is key, right? They talk to you and they open their heart. And then all of a sudden, Aunt Mabel down the street knows about their situation. And she's like, oh, the only person I told was this person. So that's huge and very important when you're dealing with people who might be uh, victims or survivors in an unhealthy relationship. The best thing you can do, of course, is continue to pray for them. God is powerful. God will make moves. If you are praying and you are mentioning and you are seeing these things, you are likely not the only one in their lives doing so. Jessica and I were talking about right before this broadcast, how God kind of repeats things. Don't go in without doing your research and doing, uh, doing that well. And then I would say, if you're in a relationship that you are wondering about, I would actually send you to the same site, abuserecovery.org, and the resources up there. And there's several articles on how to tell if you are in an abusive relationship or controlling relationship. There's also a checklist. When I am at, at fairs, at the booths and things, because I am a domestic violence advocate, I bring that checklist, and it is the most picked up one uh, flyer that I pass out. People, I run out of them. No matter how many I print, <clears throat> I run out every single time. Because there is so much now on the internet about narcissism and abuse, and it plants these little doubts in our head. And we think, you know, is that really what I'm dealing with at home? And who do I go to? How do I find this out? So I would also encourage you to go there and, and, and learn about that. Jealousy is not a normal reaction. It's not an approved reaction. And I'll give you a little example of my first married life. I know we're going to get into it more, but mine started when we came home from my honeymoon and my bridesmaids were still in town. You know, you pick your best friends and some were already in town, but some had traveled and they were still in town and they were like, let's get together. And I wanted to go see them. It was my last time. And my new husband at the time said no. And I was like, I was so confused. I mean, that's a very common first reaction is confusion. Like, why would you say that? You know, why shouldn't I go do this? And what he said was, you know, you're either choosing them or you're choosing me. And if you're going out with them, then you're not spending time with me. And we just got married. And, you know, basically you're supposed to be spending your time with me. And at the time I was kind of like, oh, okay. But, you know, I'm the good Christian wife, right? And I submit to my husband. And so, okay. And so I was upset, but I didn't go out uh, with my friends. And later, as I learned, as I looked back, I learned that, you know, jealousy in any way, shape or form is not love. Any, any means to control you, your activities or what you do, any means of not encouraging your dreams of whether that's 
going back to school or whether it's writing a book or, or doing a certain job or being an attorney or whatever it might be is, is a way that people use to be controlling um, in an unhealthy relationship. So those are things to be aware of. Um, I also want you to know that the majority of abuse, as far as we know, in domestic, in the DV community, is really not physical. And that there are many types of abuse. And we even see them in the church. We see them very commonly in the church. The stats are, this is sad, but the stats in the faith community are the same as they are outside. Which means if you are sitting in church and there is a pew of 10 people, three and a half of those people have been abused in some way, shape, or form. It has touched their lives. And that's the same in our churches as, as outside. So, you know, we teach that there are many forms of abuse. Physical is not the only form. There is spiritual abuse when they misuse scripture. There's financial abuse, and that can go both ways. Financial abuse could mean that he is withholding funds. But it could also mean he or she, whoever the abusive one is, is actually making you control all of that. Because what happens at that case, in that case, is the person will go overspend and then he'll say, well, it's your fault. You're the one doing the checkbook. There's emotional and psychological abuse. You hear about gaslighting. Those kinds of things are, are all included in an abuse circle and the types of abuse. So I want you to realize that just because you're not being hit at home, or just because you're not being kicked or choked or any of that, that you still could be in an abusive relationship, a controlling relationship. Um, and maybe it's time tonight to research that a little bit. I am so grateful for all of the knowledge that you are sharing. I know it's the tip of the iceberg, but I hope that listeners got so much out of even just this tip of the iceberg. And ladies, everything that Julie mentioned, we will have the links to those in the episode notes as we always do. Julie, would you pray for the listeners? Specifically those who maybe are just crying right now, listening to everything you've shared. Sure. I might cry with them. Give you a heads up. (laughs) God, I just pray for those who are hearing us tonight or today. God, you would you would just touch hearts or that they would hear you and that they would know it's you. And God, I pray for anybody in a relationship that might be unhealthy or even downright abusive, that you would help them to reach out and to know that there's hope and healing and to know that there are people that understand these things, God. I pray for our children that are in a situation of experiencing or excuse me, witnessing um, abuse from their parents or their folks or from anybody in the family, God, and the deep, deep impact it has on them. Even God, when it's emotional abuse, that you would guard them and be with them. Let us all know that there's hope. Amen. And that sums up the entire Story Night ministry right there. Real women with real stories of real hope. And that is the point, even when we are talking about heavy topics, even when we are talking about suffering and things that are just kind of unimaginable in some degree, and we don't want to think about them. Our stories are still hopeful because of who our author is. That is what we want to leave you with tonight, ladies. We will hear more from Julie. We're going to title it, Tell Me More. (laughs) (laughs) And I am so grateful that you took time to do this. I'm so excited for all that's to come. And 
hearing more of your story and more of the lessons and teaching that you have to share. Well, the best news is that our stories aren't over yet. Amen. Yeah. We're not even midway through. This is the introduction to our eternity. And you can choose to rewrite that and to heal from that and to make of it what God wants you to make of it. If you make that choice. Absolutely. Ladies, soak that in. You are loved. You are cherished. Your story is not over yet. And there is so much hope. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope you come back to join us next time for our next story. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women.